welcome back to Almost Famous Minute, where we're discussing the 2000 Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Watchmen Minute. And I'm Mike Josick from For Your Consideration and a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Hey, welcome back again two weeks in a row, Mike. It's a thing. It's a thing yeah. now. Wait, was your <laughs> week on the sofa okay? It was great. Ah, I'm so glad you able to make it and we're talking about minute 89 this time and it starts with leslie smiling at everyone except russell and ends with william finding penny in the hotel room the exodus of penny lane from max's kansas (laughs) yeah and william after her um so yeah i mean you know i mean one of the great things is is i mean the the song continues throughout this minute we get the song we get the action but we don't get the dialogue. She's at the in the first few seconds. She's just running like crazy, you know, bumping into some people. It seems like you know, eh, don't mind me. You know, I'm just I'm just running oddly out of here <laughs> for some reason. No one's like, no one seems really concerned with her. But but like I said, uh, William William uh, ended up following her. We don't we don't actually really see him. I don't think did, did we see him last minute? Just a little bit, start to leave. Or something that I really missed out on, but seeing this minute, you know, by itself, so much more so than previously. <laughs> um, you know, we see him round the corner outside, but even before that, we get this little, little smile from uh, Russell uh, Leslie, sheepishly smiling, yeah. caught in the act. Well, metaphorically, or caught, caught <laughs> red-handed, I guess. Yeah, yeah, thankfully not, not literally. Either. You know, I mean, I, you know, who knows? Maybe that's why they're they got divorced at some point, you know, maybe there was a literal caught in the act uh, moment. And, and so maybe she'll, maybe she'll stay with him or maybe not. We'll, we may find out. <laughs> it was something that I thought about while kind of watching this minute again, because uh, this is not a secret like this, this whole, the band guys go out and they, yeah. they have these dalliances and whatever, like, is, is it just a relationship where, she knows it happens and as long as she doesn't like flaunt it in her face or does Mm. she hate it always and she's this is a big problem maybe this is what broke them up i don't know um so we you know i don't know there's too much at this point you know you know they know it's if it's dark outside or light you know i don't know how, how much that might play into what we're seeing a little bit there with with those actions we just talked about but you know, we get out to the city streets, like I like I was mentioning. We see William rounding the corner, kind of, and we're you know, it's it's it's, it's supposed to remind you, okay, we're we're in New York City, and that's what the lyrics are, you know, and and we even have these trees. Now, whether they're rose trees or not, I have no idea. I'm not a, I'm not very good with nature and so forth. I like I like being in nature, but I just don't know much about it. You know, I've tried to learn it, but different. But uh, the lyric is, but now I know that rose trees never grow in New York City. But there certainly are trees of some sort <laughs> there yeah. in New York City that uh, William is running by with all the all the uh, yellow cabs as well. And thematically, it, it it's a song that does speak somewhat to loneliness and the the thing that we're witnessing right now <laughs> yeah right I mean, I mean, a... it, 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 it's very clearly yeah you know what 
what I think Penny expresses next minute, essentially, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, what, what, what she says certainly, you know, shines this, this is, this is helping, I think us realize that, you know, that, that we, that we more clearly understand better from Penny. Um, um, so like I was saying, there's all these cabs and William, like, he's kind of like trying to look in some, he thinks Penny might've gotten in one and, Guess what? <laughs> One of them he looks into, <laughs> and this is something. It. This is something I said, like uh, especially the 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 three minutes ago, I think, with Joe. Uh, Joe Quaxala, who uh, does the other uh, show on one of the other many shows on our on our Pantheon network that we're on. Um, uh, who cares about the Rock Hall? Um, so he had, you know. I mean, I've I've certainly enjoyed the Rolling Stone magazine myself throughout my you know at, at points throughout my life, mostly in my teenage years, <laughs> you know, especially like when I was I was working at Kroger there latter latter uh, couple uh, years of my high school of being in high school, and uh, you know I'd, I'd I'd pick up the Rolling Stone magazine along with a few and read some. So, uh, but Jan Winter, yeah, yeah, I think you just you said it a moment ago, Jan Winter. And this is the old Jan Winter <laughs> at circa 2000, <laughs> sitting in the back of a car in 1973. <laughs> um, did you uh, have you heard the? Did you listen to the Cameron Crow commentary? Yeah, I've, I've listened to this? it a couple times. I think he, I think he says something about his beard. Even? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, you, 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 you want to say it more accurately than I probably can remember? <laughs> well, he basically he had Jan on set uh, and. You know, he's in period dress and he's he's reading yeah. a period newspaper. But he said, uh, you know, Jan, uh, the beard, the beard's not really accurate to the period. Do you uh, do you want to shave it? And he said, no. Yeah. Yeah. And for, for a man of his age in 2000, but being in 73, yeah, a man that, at that age, I mean, a younger man, definitely like uh, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff has the full beard going on. But yeah, at least at least this guy's you know you know many people are gonna will have seen this and have no clue who is yeah why this is special or anything why this is important it's this very minimal cameo because I mean there's like I said there's no dialogue even but you know at least some cameos most cameos that I'm used to <laughs> usually have a little just one line you know something like very much like Stanley's and it happens so quickly there. like. I mean, it, I said it was period accurate dress, and it is. Yeah. But to look at him, like I don't look at him and think, you know, oh, that's a guy in the seventies. He just <laughs> looks like, you know, a fashionable guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was getting to though. Too is, I mean, the beard is is is, is not totally recognizable. I think on the film, on you know, it's, it's I agree. It's pretty light color hair. I mean, he's he's he's, he's graying a good bit, maybe. I mean, I certainly am at my age, and I think he's a little bit older than I am now. But he's not walking uh, the Don yeah. Johnson five o'clock shadow. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So and and okay. So then we got to go back to the lyric of this Don Johnson. Oh my God! And I thank the Lord <laughs> to, to Cameron Crowe. He is the Lord. <laughs> he's the one who got him to be able to do what he did by hiring him on. You know to do these interviews and go on the road and, and backstage with so many bands. Um, Mrs. Crow. I mean, the, the next closest Lord that you, you could, you might imagine would be Lester Banks uh, per this movie, at least, you know, Mrs. Crow comments uh, on the commentary as well. Cause Cameron does the commentary with his mom. Okay. 
And uh, she said that Jan would call her periodically and just let her know that uh, Cameron's okay and we're, we're taking care of him and <laughs> not to worry. He's not on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, additionally, the lyric is, for the people I have found. You know, I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not, from Cameron's point of view, I mean, I don't think he's saying, you know, for the people he's found, but people have found him <laughs> that, that that Jan found him or what have you and Ben and and but he found Lester <laughs> definitely yeah um you know so then you know it goes you know he, he leaves the cab and he's just kind of wandering just a little bit he's not sure where to go but then he picks up the pace <laughs> and I think he remembers oh yeah okay Let's run down the street to the hotel, wherever that is, compared to wherever they were. I've, I've not done the geography lesson on that very well, but this is the hotel that Vic Munoz down on the street when he when he first when they first uh, uh, pulled into in front of their hotel, a different one supposedly, apparently, you know, than this, because Vic told him at uh, at whatever X other hotel. I don't remember at this point what Vic said for sure, but um, you know, but but he, he gave he gave. William, the secret code of their staying under the name Emily Rugburn. So, I mean, he's got all that in his head, thankfully. He didn't, I don't think he wrote it down. I don't think we ever see him like looking at notes to try to remember what Vic said. But to him, it's all, all well enough in the mind, seemingly. Watching Patrick Fugit running down the street like that, considering the film that follows this okay. and how Cameron Crowe just rolled the whole crew into making Vanilla Sky. Yeah. And, uh, you got some Tom Cruise kind of like running down <laughs> running. the road, and, and if I don't, if I remember correctly, it's not even that dissimilar a shot. Wow. Um, so now I watch this and I just think this is Patrick Fugit's like Tom Cruise run, <laughs> his awkward bag full of hotel ashtrays and phone books, yeah. <laughs> weighing them down. Well, he does get into the corridor hall of the hotel here, and you know, I, you know, when he falls, he does he falls here. You know, it's it's the lyrics are sons of bankers, sons of lawyers again. So, I'm not sure that that matters too much, but it's the very next line. <laughs> turn around and you know, blah blah blah, whatever. But turn turn around. So he's gotten back up at that point, and he's looked back down the hall. At the, I think I think at another person there, you know, a, a, a maid, cleaning staff, what have you. I yeah, think in might the background. Be down there, way down there, or room service even. Something along those lines, you know. But he does seem to look, after he gets back up, he looks back that way, trying to be nonchalant. Then he tries to walk suave. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I always wonder, because at this point in the film, uh, Patrick Fugit was like, exhausted and yeah you can really sort of see it in his physicality and uh and he's got that kind of acting too that uh you know people employ with guys like william shatner where they just make them do it over and over and over again until they get tired then they stop Mm -hmm. acting and you get a more genuine Mm -hmm. like patrick fugit is just he's i don't know he's exuding something that's just really kind of true and that really fits his character considering where he is at in the narrative, in this journey. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the bag and like that bag for Cameron Crowe, it was literally like 
ashtrays and mm-hmm. phone books because he was keeping the phone books from like every place that he would visit. Um, and uh, so that bag is kind of like that's his whole journey up to that point, which he's still, you know, carrying with him. He's dragging it around and it's getting heavier and heavier as he goes. And uh, so you've got exhausted Patrick who maybe is tripping in the hallway because he's just literally exhausted. And the way he runs, he's got this funny kind of, you know, gait to his run, which I always read as kind of just awkward young kid, but also exhaustion. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's so much for me to like read into the performances of both of these minutes, last week's minute and this minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so little dialogue. I mean, we kind of joked about it off air. We were like, yeah, so uh, not sure how much there's going to be to talk about because other than the Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's, right? Like so much of it is just characters looking around. But I mean, there's never a point where you're not getting some personal emotional truth out of any of these characters. And uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and so the last thing I'd want to compare between the lyrics and the, what we're seeing is, you know, for unless they see the sky again, sky and it's hitting when we, when William sees, we see Penny in her blue dress, <laughs> sky blue, sky blue. That's, that's the color. <laughs> sky blue um, dress. And it's, what a great look uh, on Kate Hudson's face. Yeah. yeah. How do you not fall in love with that face? Oh, I'm pretty sure many people have. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Fugit did. <laughs> I I was actually, I kind of went into these minutes cold. Um, I, I think I watched the movie quite recent to the last time when we were on yeah, like Minute right. 74 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this time. <laughs> this one I wanted to go in yeah. more cold. Uh, watched the right minutes this time, but going cold. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so there were surprises like the Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's and uh, and the way this minute ends on that shot of Kate. And my first thought when my media player stopped was like, no, I want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when the minutes end up just bookending nicely. Yeah. Where you get that perfect, like, either cliffhanger, click, cliff, either get that perfect cliffhanger or like punctuation to the moment. And that that look holding that glass of champagne the makeup being disheveled. Yet still. <laughs> <laughs> Some, something amazing to look at. You know, you don't, you know, when, when you are in love, it's, you know, people can be as bad as throwing up, which we're damn near close yep. to. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and you still love them yet, you know, and find them attractive and, and for in certain ways. And so it's yeah. you know it's a moment of vulnerability right yeah hmm. so i mean if you're really mm-hmm. feeling a connection with somebody and you're catching them you're sharing a moment that's really private um yeah. it, it can have a an oddly romantic feel to it hmm. not as traditional as people would maybe uh prefer to have but i know i've been i've been in a number of like weird situations where Something like that has been the case. I don't know. I will go into detail. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, similar. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, I've, I've, I've had friends. You know, I've, I've been, you know, like, oh man, that's that's wonderful. There, that's you know, a, you know, guy, a guy friend, you know, with a woman in a similar state, you know, 
they are, you know, they're, 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 that's a great guy. You know, he's not taking advantage, but then we do have the little bit of the issue, a little bit skirmishness coming up, <laughs> you know, that we've already had the other two previous and, and thankfully, thankfully I'm awfully sure Condra will not be back for this one last time <laughs> of a, of a, of an issue so to speak but you know it's you know unless unless you go to my star wars theory of uh kisses being essentially sex <laughs> in the star wars universe i guess when they went it when you know it's because there's I no mean, love scenes yeah, in right, star wars yeah right. almost i mean the closest the next closest thing besides i mean you know, there's certainly some kissing going on but in episode two <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm the rolling around in the field is <laughs> the next, <laughs> next closest thing. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've thought that for quite a few years now, I think. And, and, uh, but you know, we, we, we've seen other acts though in this movie, or at least hinted upon that are, are definitely way more than kissing and, and going, going into inferring <laughs> sex has taken place much, uh, uh the first of the three. <laughs> That Conjure was on for. Um, I, for some reason, I yeah. love that phrase. I feel like it should be on a t-shirt or something. Just sex takes place. Or sex has yeah. taken place. <laughs> <laughs> it's very clinical. Yeah. But also like awkwardly provocative. Well, um, do you have any other notes for this minute? Yeah. I just yeah, wanted to please. add that, uh, you know, we talked about sometimes that that awkward but vulnerable moment can be like a romantic moment. And what's what's resonant about it is that it's true. And I think uh, it's something that when you look at some of Crow's later films, like, uh, you know, We Bought a Zoo or, or Aloha, where he's kind of, he's not necessarily crafting stuff from his life so much. Um, and they don't have that same resonance or truth to it. And you watch something like Singles, you watch something like Almost Famous and they do have those weird idiosyncrasies and they do have just these truths and we've all experienced it and we all see it. And and on top of Crow's writing and Crow introducing those things into the story, you have these actors who are all having these experiences, which also have these moments of awkwardness and these moments of truth that is informing, you know, their performance of what they're doing. And, I think that's why movies like this stick around. It's, they, they speak to us in a way, they articulate things to us that we sometimes can't articulate ourselves. They, they tap into things that uh, we recognize. We see ourselves in them. Mm-hmm. There's a fantasy, there's a, there's a magical realism to it, but there's also like this, that could be me. And that, you know, I, I mentioned the, the first time I was on your show, uh, my experience with Almost Famous, I just got hooked into it because at the time uh, I was in, I guess, maybe my mid-20s, late 20s, and I was doing, uh, it, it was comic book journalism. I was doing a lot of like, uh, I was a features editor for a, for an online magazine, uh, interviewing a lot of comic book professionals, cartoonists and whatnot, uh, writing stuff. And I was connecting with you know, William's journey as this journalist who was just trying to do something that he loved, but kind of, you know, had some of the odds stacked against him. And, um, you know, I wasn't trained as a journalist. I didn't go to school for it or anything. And it was just something that I was just a fan. I just loved 
the stuff and I loved talking to people and I loved finding out about process and all sorts. And I just read that off of like William immediately. And that's, that's what hooked me into it. And then the, the movie's just threaded with like all of this other stuff, which as I get older continues to resonate with me. And this time, you know, that the video player ended on that minute and I went in to watch the commentary afterwards on my Blu-ray and just watched to the end. Like I couldn't stop. Like, just really dig this movie. I really dig everything about it. <laughs> yeah, we're on, we're and I think that's why when when it does get to when it does get to problematic things, um, I think there's a. I mean, it, it should be called out and it should be should be noted, um, mm-hmm. but it is period specific and and as long as it's not like overly romanticized, um, as long as it's true to the character. Uh, like there's a moment that will be coming up, which um, it's maybe not the most noble moment in Will's life, but I think it's very true to his character. And uh, yeah, so well, well, there are other um, movies, you know, oh, sorry. I was just gonna say there are other movies that I have loved that are now deeply problematic for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and this is not one. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the you say overly romanticized. I mean, so you know, I mean, the, the actual act with the deflowering isn't, you know, that right there itself isn't overly romanticized too much, maybe. But what is really being brought about at that point is his connection with Penny. That you know, it's it's the, those those the close ups on those on their each of their eyes. I mean, it's just you know. Even though this thing is, is, you know, happening to him, it's so much more important that, you know, they had that. And to be fair, this whole movie is overly romanticized in its own yeah, way. Right. But like for a moment oh, yeah. for a moment like that, Crow is not like, Oh, this was so great. This was the way to do it. This is how everybody should lose their virginity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how he lost his virginity. And uh, that was the environment, and that was the that was the period. That was that was what it was. Um, and it's it's mm-hmm. also it's slightly romanticized because it's coming from William's perspective. Most of this movie is from the mm-hmm. perspective of a of a fan narratively, and also a fan creatively. Because I mean, it's it's Crow's romanticized version of his childhood or of his, his teen years, um, and I guess his childhood as well. But. Well, I mean, it certainly had, there were some moments like, especially like in, in, in the director's cut, uh, shown earlier on in his life, you know, the, the, the four ish or four or five years earlier when he's in school, he's in the, you know, after, after, before, whatever, after gym class, probably, you know, and having to shower naked and these kids, you know, essentially teasing him and so forth, you know, and it's, you know, it's, he's, he's not, you know, happy that happened but i think i think from a storytelling point of view he at least got it filmed like 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 i said steven spielberg suggested but um you know that that it was it was one of the steps to him realizing that he was <laughs> even younger you know or or, or made it made it made the uh the uh the admission from from his mom and through his sister there too in the car that he was as young as he was, made so much more sense. <laughs> this makes sense now, you know, the the not yeah. having pubic hair, <laughs> not, not, not going puberty yet. And it makes a difference also having a character yeah. who isn't 
a bad person. I mean, Will is socially awkward. He's very earnest. Yeah. Um, you know, easy to love. He uh, he's young. He's impressionable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when he's weaving in and out of these like weird moments, um, I, I think tonally it fits enough with the film that even though it might prick up my ears a little bit now because we notice stuff like that now, um, it's not mean spirited, and I, I don't think it's there's enough in the story. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that's not the focal point. That was like just kind of a romanticized version of an event. So, yeah, it's 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 truthful, but it's not too you know like you say romanticized or yeah yeah wow. I was generally I, I was worried revisiting this movie initially when uh, <laughs> when I watched it My first uh, in fall of last year. Yeah, and because. Um, I remembered things and I, I'd heard some of the, the conversation online and uh, read some articles where people have been looking back at some John Hughes films and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm terrified to go back and revisit some of those John Hughes movies that I grew up on. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought this one was, it held up. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming on these two <laughs> min- more minutes uh, coming on. And who knows, maybe one last time down the road, down maybe with the credits or something. Who knows? Because I definitely don't have anyone still. <laughs> no no one has, has, has staked any claim to the credits, but, you know, who, whoever would. That'd be that'd be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> so I'm sure I'll find someone, and and I may call on you just for just for one of them, probably. You know, you know, well, hey, don't the credits have the... Oh no, the Polaroids are in the director's cut, yeah, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, mm, yeah. It's been so we'll long find, since we'll I've find seen out. Yeah. just the theatrical cut. <laughs> I know. I know the Polaroids are in in there for the in the menu system. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I should have saved. I thought this was probably going to be my last time on, so that's why I was given like my big. Yeah. Oh no, sure. I, pre- I no, no, no no big deal. Should have held some of that I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just giving you well, more I won't, edits. I won't have you on then. Fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate you doing these couple. And uh, please let people know further about uh, about your projects, where, where they can find you. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you, everybody's probably been keeping up and, and heard me saying this last time. But uh, I have two podcasts for your consideration, which is a film discussion podcast i mean who doesn't have a film discussion podcast these days and uh a podcast named scooby-doo which is uh essentially putting together an oral history of the scooby-doo franchise and also discussing some of the wider world of hanna-barbera as well um it's uh because of their whole planned animation thing a lot of people just it's like yeah whatever hanna-barbera happened and you don't see a lot of history done on it. And a lot of interesting people went through that studio and mm-hmm. have kind of touched those franchises and characters. Did, did I ask you last you know, time when you were on, not this, not these two minutes, but the previous, um, uh, any discuss, much discussion of like Dynamut? Uh, I talked to somebody say? who did work on uh, Blue Falcon and Dynamut. Yeah. Cool. Um, we spoke briefly about it. Yeah. Uh, he talked about some of the standards and practices. There was an episode that was deemed too scary <gasps> okay. wow. and they, and they had to uh, rewrite it. Mm. But 
I'll probably circle around again at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've got an episode. Uh, there's a gentleman who worked on, I think it was What's New Scooby-Doo. Uh, he also pitched uh, Jetson's Revival, which ah, never yeah. happened. And uh, we're going to get together and talk about that that pilot that sure. that never happened. And yeah, I just I just like getting kind of getting into the weeds. I like I like the history. I like the conversations. Yeah, that's yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I'll mention my uh, you know I, I mentioned at the top uh, Watchmen Minute, I believe, and that was a great thing I did with the co-host Travis Bow, where we went through all of the director's cut of that was Zach, a bold adventure. Zach Snyder. <laughs> Zach Snyder, not not the Snyder cut. <laughs> it's the director's cut, um, not the ultimate cut <laughs> either, though, because in that one he threw in the uh, the animated. Uh, Black Freighter. Uh, yeah, Black Freighter stuff. Uh, um, and we You've never, seen it though, right? I've yet to see the full version. I've, I've, yeah, I did watch, yeah, the full, yeah, the full, the full version once. Um, I, you know, I, I would like to watch, hopefully at some point, just the Black Freighter, I think, just by itself, just to see how that goes all on its own and just like the 20 minutes I think it is. Um, because because it's a little bit more than twenty minutes when they add in the interstitial stuff, the yeah. zooming in and out too, you know. But I guess the Black Freighter stuff is just fully just. A- if you grab yourself the Blu-ray, it has yeah, the uh, yeah. it has the behind the oh, what was the Mason? Yeah. Was it behind the mask or behind the cowl? I think behind the cowl, right? Yeah, and they do kind of like a a, a faux documentary. Yeah. Okay. Based wow. on that. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard about that one. I don't think I've, I've ever had my hands on it from the library or what have you or bought. I certainly haven't bought yet that yeah. kind of thing at some point. Um, but we're still in the middle of, comic-wise, uh, uh, Rorschach coming out. And, and Travis and I have never gotten back to that, nor Doomsday Clock. But I think he's read – I think he at least got <laughs> the, 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 the full, complete <laughs> Doomsday Clock uh, to read. Uh, but uh, so hopefully at some point down the road we'll – we might be back. You never know. And, and I mean, definitely if Damon <laughs> got back with HBO at some point and did did a second season. But nails seem to be almost in fully in the coffin. <laughs> yeah, well, it was only ever intended as a miniseries. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. Ironically, I think Alan Moore would have been proud of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If 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 the other stuff hadn't happened to get him so pissed, <laughs> that would have been wonderful to <laughs> for him to have have yeah seen that. That probably hasn't happened. <laughs> oh, 100 percent. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. He's never seen it. Uh, okay, so yeah, that was my other show, and uh, the other the other one currently ongoing still though uh, is feels like Weezer, and it's on the Pantheon Podcast Network that we're on right now. Uh, so big thanks to the guys for uh, letting us uh, perch ourselves here, re- release this show, almost famous minute, and it's been a great time, and we continued hope to continue many years down the road, especially for feels like Weezer <laughs> um, at the rate we're going right now, unfortunately <laughs> one a month, but we should pick that up some soon later in the year. I think we'll get back to maybe at least, or at least get up to like a twice a month, I think some point later this year. Um, so yeah. So thanks so much for them. And like I mentioned, I think at the top earlier, the AKG Lyra from Harmon audio, maybe, um, but uh, mentioning now and, and this great headset that, Sounds so great. And so next time, hopefully next week, will be Minute 90. Uh, Thanks again, Mike, so much. Uh, And until then, it's all happening. It's all happening. I am a golden god! Yeah! Yeah!
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 